Father, do want to thank you for this chance on a lovely, warm, hot summer's day to be able to enjoy each other, enjoy meeting like this, but especially to enjoy you speaking to us. Please help us to hear your voice and please would you give us the humility that we need to learn and to live in line with what you say. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Exodus chapter 20, verse 14. You shall not commit adultery. Got that? You missed it, didn't you? Exodus chapter 20, verse 14. You shall commit adultery. A memory verse, even before we start. And now, Malachi chapter 2. And this is going to sound strange, but I'll read to you verses 13 to 16. Malachi says, And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favour from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord has, was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, even though she is your companion, and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Well, those are important words we're going to see. But we'll stop there for a minute. Let the children leave for their uh, group and class and uh, we'll carry on after they've gone. Well, we're going to start tonight with a very, very interesting subject. We're going to talk about, uh, well, sex. In church. <laughs> well, now you're glad you care, aren't you? No, I'm not talking about it because uh, because you know nothing about it and I'm here to tell you. No, because actually, uh, you're all experts. Uh, just by living in the world outside. Uh, you learn about this subject all the time. Even if you're a seven-year-old and you go to school, and there's a special class to teach you about this subject, it's non-stop. The information is coming from every angle. And therefore, you'd think we were all cleared up, wouldn't you? But we're going to be learning something different tonight, because we're going to be learning it from the Bible. 
Now you might say, well, actually, that's not going to be of any interest to me. I'm past it. And my adultery days are well and truly over. This has got nothing to do with me, but actually, yes, it has, because as I said, outside there's a conversation going on, and the older ones amongst us here need to be wise when they contribute to the conversation, particularly in their own homes, particularly with the younger ones in their family. We need God's mind on this so we can help them to make sense of their lives and what they hear. Other people might say, well, actually, we're not married, we're single, we're nowhere near that. Well, we're going to find out how God's Word speaks to us from this command. And for others, you might say, well, actually, I'm far too young to be in that world. I'm nowhere near married. Well, now is exactly the right time to start thinking about this. Far better to think about it before you get in the wrong relationship than when you find yourself in the middle of it. So we are going to have to be learning from the Bible and God says do not commit adultery. There are two things that he wants us to learn I think from this tonight and the first thing is say yes to marriage. Because if you say no adultery it kind of assumes marriage doesn't it? Because adultery is sex outside marriage it presumes that marriage is there already and the Bible has this wonderful way of equating love and marriage. And it puts together, if you want to understand about love, well, go straight to marriage. If you want to understand about marriage, go straight to love. The two are always interlinked. And it's always been like that. You've got to go right back to the very start of the world, to the very first couple, Adam and Eve, and God says that Adam would leave his family, cleave to his wife, and the two would become one flesh. That is the culmination of love, which is sex. And when you come to understand about marriage, the Bible says there is one very important thing that we need to remember. That marriage is absolutely single-minded. So when you are married, you are married to Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright and you don't look either side because they are Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright for you. No one else is or will be. Now, am I saying that there can therefore be only one Mr. Wright or one Miss Wright for you? No, I'm not. Because what the Bible says is that if we were to... Uh, oh, sorry. The Bible also actually says, in Bible maths, this is really important, if you're a mathematician, you need to understand Bible maths. And Bible maths says that whenever you add to what God says in the Bible, you subtract. When God says this and you try and add something else, you're actually taking away. We're going to be seeing that as we go along today. But what the Bible really wants us uh, to understand is that if you are someone who is not married, then who you marry is entirely up to you. But the Bible gives us four boundaries if you're a Christian. 
to make your choice, to take your pick. First is, if we're going to be married, uh, well, uh, pick someone of the opposite sex. Second, pick someone who is not related to you. Third, pick someone who is not already married. And fourth, pick someone who is a Christian. Give me those four things again, very quickly. Pick someone who is a Christian, opposite sex, not married, and not related. Okay? Within that boundary, if a person is single, unrelated, uh, the opposite sex, and they're Christian, well, look at the room full and make your wise choice. You can pick your Mr. Right or Wrong. Because any of them could be Mr. Right, because certainly none of those would be Mr. Wrong. <coughs> it's perfectly fine to get married to her. you just got to make the wise choice. But once you've made that choice, then that person is your Mr. Right or Mrs. Right from now on. And no one else gets a look in. Now the world doesn't understand how important that is. And how important it is to enjoy the gift of love and sex in the context of marriage. The BBC once phoned me up and they said, Mike, uh, are you M M Mike Reef? I said, yes I am. And they said, well, uh, we're running a program on uh, sex in the BBC and we need a clergyman there and we're wondering whether you might be it. I pushed a bit more, I found that they'd first phoned up a friend and the friend had very niftily sidestepped and gave them my name instead. So they're now talking to me and they said, can you come and talk to us about sex? I said, I would love to. They said, what makes you such an expert? I said, because I'm married. And they said, well, why does that make you such an expert? Because actually, sex and oneness is a relational thing. It's not a thing that you get good at by technical information. It is something you find close because the relationship is close. And I said, that's what I would have to offer. They said, no, we don't want that because that sounds very boring. Everybody's thinking about sex and marriage. Uh, we want something slightly different. That's just not a bad thing because personally, I don't want to go on a television program and talk about sex and end up in a, in a, in a, in a screaming match uh, with other people who don't see it that way. But the Bible, you see, does see it that way. And in fact what the Bible says, you might want to uh, come back at this and ask me a question time. But the Bible says that before you're married actually the relationship that you have with someone you fancy is actually more to do with lust than it is about love. It's more to do with self-love than true love before you get married. But when you're married, love commits and it enters into a whole new league. Now again, uh, that might be something that you want to talk to me about at question time. 
And therefore, until we get married, never mind what Hollywood tells you, the Bible tells you that until we are married and we have a one flesh relationship with that person, the only other relationship we can have with someone that we're going out to is the relationship between brother and sister. Because the Bible tells you in Titus that younger men are to treat younger men as sisters. And that is the model of relationship for Christians before they are married. There's no sort of a, a Hollywood uh, first kiss, second snog, and you go up the scale until you just about stop before you get to the really uh, steamy side of it, until you get married and then you can cross the line and have sex. No, the Bible says, until then there's no grades, your brother, sister, all the way up until the day you're married. That's new and different, isn't it? you got something to talk about out there if uh, the conversation starts up on this one. And therefore, the Bible always tells us that um, uh, where to stay within that framework. The world says the best place to have sex is outside marriage. Mm. That's what they were hoping their television program would get. get thinking. The Bible puts it right back and says the best place <coughs> for that relationship is within marriage. That is where closeness is to be found and it is important for us to hold on to that fast. The Bible says this is so important that anybody who commits adultery in the Bible is to be stoned put to death. Now, in our country, that's a fine, it's okay to cross the lines. But the Bible says, no, this is desperately serious. There's a whole different way to a person who has sex before marriage, who jumps the gun, and they have sex before they marry. The Bible remedy for that is, the Bible calls it fornication, the Bible remedy for that is to get married. Okay, get into that single-minded relationship with this one person you started early, but now commit to being single-mindedly committed to that relationship, no other. The Bible therefore says, okay, uh, if uh, you started early, then remain there. At least if there is a relationship to remain in. But when it comes to adultery, adultery is killed because adultery itself kills and maims and brings deep unhappiness to everyone it touches. It breaks the heart of the husband and wife. It breaks the hearts of their children. It breaks the hearts of their parents. It breaks the hearts of their friends. Adultery is completely destructive. As the Bible says, this is how serious it is. Don't let it destroy you and all that you love. And don't let it destroy the society that you're in because it will. If relationships are broken like that. So, yes to marriage.
because it is so important to be single-minded in our commitments. But secondly, that's right, and, 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 and the adultery, the affair, introduces a second relationship. Because you see, we only have room in our hearts for one person. And when we bring in another person, then what happens is that that whole space is uh, shattered. And uh, that precious relationship is now under threat. So the Bible says, no adultery, sorry I put divorce there, I meant no adultery. Just two words. Uh, Farinaz has told me that uh, in, in Farsi, uh, chapter 20, verse 14 is just two words. In the original Hebrew, it's just got two words. It just says, no adultery. English has got five words. You shall not commit adultery. But the original has just got two. Now, let's get this right. Adultery was always wrong before the Ten Commandments. And before the Ten Commandments came, adultery was sin. So you might remember the time when a man called Joseph was in Egypt and another man's wife, Potiphar's wife, said, come and lay with me. And what did Joseph say? Well, if you want to, you can check out Exodus chapter 39, verse 9. Joseph said, far be it from me to sin against my master and to sin against God. So Joseph saw that it was sinful even before the Ten Commandments arrived. Now, it's always been wrong. But I think it's Malachi that is the clearest right in the Bible that tells us why it is wrong. And if you look at Malachi chapter 2, page 802, you will see there are, I think, two reasons there that explain why the Bible tells us no adultery in verse 14. The first reason, but well they're both actually there in, in verse 15. Why is there marriage in verse 15? What is God seeking? Someone tell me. In verse 15? Godly offspring. Okay? Marriage is not just about being single-minded, it's also about being reproductive, it's about having kids. And the Bible's wanting marriage to be a love that grows love. Marriage is not just to be a sort of companionship thing, you know, I love my wife, my wife loves me, and hey, that's all the world that we want to be living in. We don't want anybody else in it. Now, the Bible says that sort of view of marriage is people passed off as companionship, but actually it's deeply selfish. <laughs> marriage is made for children. And here's the thing about children. Human cubs, or puppies, or whatever you like to call them, some even call them babies, <laughs> Human babies take a whole lot longer to raise than any other offspring. We thought about that. A giraffe is up on its feet and uh, 
sprinting around the place in five days, it's got to be that quick because the leopard's coming. Uh, you get uh, elephants there, uh, sort of doddery, but they're up on their feet. Foals, uh, they get moving quite quickly too. Uh, puppies, they're blind for a bit, but very soon, within weeks, they're creating havoc. But a child? Well, one year down the track, what can they do? <laughs> Two years down the track, three years down the track, they're aged five and you've got to shepherd them everywhere. Get to teenagers, they need their parents even more. I mean, it takes 20 years to bring up a child, isn't it? That's nearly someone's entire working life. And that's why, because it takes that long, it needs the security of a relationship that lasts that long, that is committed to each other for that long. So that stability and love can grow. And the children can see how wonderful God's love is through the love of their parents towards them. Consistent, faithful, providing, and they grow up to be godly offspring, trusting God because their parents have shown them what God's love is like, demonstrating his faithfulness. So that's one reason why God says no adultery, and why he says I hate divorce when that relationship is broken up. But another reason why he says I hate divorce is because of something else. So you get that in verse 15 too. And you see that uh, the Bible says, let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. Or in the original it says, do not break faith. Now, when people talk about faith these days, they mean some sort of vague, wishful hope that you might have. Yes, I've got faith that Arsenal might win the league next year some hope, but you call it faith. Now the Bible doesn't talk about faith like that. For the Bible, when it talks about faith, it's talking about a trusted word. A God who says something and makes a promise that he will always keep, and faith is the person who believes that word and trusts it and holds on to it tightly. And all our human relationships work on the basis of faith, on a trusted word. So you get on the bus that's going to barking, because it says barking on the front, and you trust that the word it says in the front is the word you can trust, and will end you up in barking. If it gets you into Romford, your trust is broken. You trust the person who... Uh, uh, says he's going to pay you at the end of the week for doing work, we'll pay you at the end of the week for that work. And equally, he trusts you that the work you say you will do in that week, you will do. Everything is built on trust. The people's word is given and people's word is kept. Now, when you break that word of trust, the Bible says that is violent. He says, for the man who does not love his wife but divorces her and therefore breaks his word, 
to stay with her for life all the time, but he covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts, because it's a violent thing to break your word. Why? Because it leaves people cynical. It leaves people absolutely suspicious of what they hear. It undermines trust. And when you can't trust people, you know what the outcome of that is going to be. No relationships. You end up isolated. You end up lonely because you don't trust words anymore. The Bible says that's a horrible word, world to live in. So do not break faith or do not be faithless, it says in our translation. Be part of a world where words are given and then can be trusted and lived by. So two reasons why no adultery. Because you are to keep your word and because you are to grow your children in a godly way. So, those are the two reasons. And we see them there. A word that God makes is always kept. And our words are to be like His. What can we learn from that today? That we ultimately want to understand why the Bible makes such sense. If we're new to Christian things and we're wondering whether we ourselves ought to become Christians and we want to know how do we make up our minds on this? And I would want to suggest to you, why don't you compare the world with what you read about in God's world? What do you see in the world where there is sex outside the boundaries of marriage. Well, my friends, you can do the body count as much as I can when you count up the broken pieces of people in the world out there and the messiness that there is and the heartbreak that results. Yeah, that's what the world is like compare that with this world. The world of faithfulness. The world where God makes promises to you, keeps promises to you, and then puts you into fellowship with those who can be trusted. Into a marriage that is secure. That is the alternative to the world's way of conducting relationships. Wouldn't you want to choose that? Wouldn't you want to come under the umbrella of God's faithfulness and call on him to draw you in to create that faithfulness in you towards others? It's a word to remember if uh, perhaps you're new to things. But also, what happens if you're a church um, uh, expert? You've been around lots of different churches. You've gone to different services, more different kinds. Why is this important for us to understand if we're in that situation?
I've been in, uh, a pastor for enough time now to know that uh, uh, when I've met people, and particularly those who've gone into larger churches where uh, all the spotlight is on great enthusiasm on Sunday morning in church during worship and then the pastor doesn't actually know anybody who's in the church apart from him in the front and you sitting down in front of him. And what happens when you find others living together um, and there are uh, complicated relationships going on. not Christian. Why? How can it be like that? suggest to you actually it's possible to be like that if you ultimately know the name of God and you sing about it lots and you're part of the church service you have all that to at the tip of your fingertips and tip of your tongue but where you don't know the deepest nature of God is to be faithful but here's a God whose word is really important to him and a congregation that works on worship, but not on word, will end up in lives that are going to look like the world, rather than like Jesus. So if you're new, well, compare the word with the world. If you're someone who's churchy, well, just understand the difference between worship. If the spotlight is there, it won't be on the word. And then the cracks appear in our marriages as well. But the third uh, point that we might want to make is uh, what we've said before whenever you read the tablets, you know, there's the Ten Commandments, go from tablets to Trinity, ultimately these words are to show us what God is like himself. And first thing we understand about God, our Father, is that he is faithful. And he is a God who is always going to stick with his people. One of the great reassurances about uh, Christianity is, has a God that is not ever going to walk away from you. Other people might walk away from you. You might have been hurt by what's happened in the past. But this God is a Father who is never going to leave your side. Love the faithfulness of God because these commandments are all pointing to His nature and what He is like. The second thing to remember is that His Son died on the cross. He is deeply forgiven. And where we ourselves have been unfaithful, where we've made uh, sinful uh, decisions in the past. It is not the end of the road. It is not just that Jesus forgives you, but Jesus in his perfect faithfulness gives you his track record of obedience. So God looks at you not as a faithless person, but as faithful as his son is. Please don't beat yourself up because things have gone bad in the past. God makes all things new through his son. But then thirdly, it's real new. 
because the Holy Spirit fills us to make us like the Lord Jesus. Not just in the literal, I will not sleep with anybody else, but as Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, uh, and I think it's verse 26, where he said, you won't even look at a person. Because looking at someone wanting more than uh, a, a godly friendship with them is to commit adultery. So Jesus says in uh, Matthew chapter 5 and uh, verse uh, 27, uh, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if anything needs to change, it's the heart that needs to change. And the Holy Spirit works to create a new heart in us. Where we are faithful not just uh, through our actions, but through our eyes. And we begin to see people with the honour and dignity that God has given them, rather than as playthings for us to use as toys in our imagination for our own gratification and interest. The Holy Spirit does this deep work inside to change us, to make us like Christ. And it is important, isn't it, for us to to finally see that in this sex-obsessed world that we live in, where, as we started and said at the beginning, the talk of sex is everywhere, isn't it important for us to come from the Bible with a new word on that subject? To say that, yes, sex might be everywhere, but seriously, it is not everything. You can live a perfect human life without ever having sex again. Jesus was perfectly human. He wasn't half a man. He wasn't an unfulfilled man. He wasn't a lesser man. But he was a perfect man. Showing that actually that is not the ultimate way for our happiness. It is to be like him that brings us our deepest joy. And therefore we want to be not just uh, being part of the world and its chatter, listening to what it has to say. It is really important as, uh, as Christians that we go and actually we want something new to say about the subject. As a father who is faithful and our marriages and relationships are meant to be a reflection of him. There's a son who is forgiven, and there's a spirit who makes us like God's son, faithful and uh, single-minded in the relationships that we have, in the marriages that we are in. But let me stop there, and we'll take a moment uh, to pray, and uh, then we'll have some questions. Let me pray. Father, we do want to thank you for the way that your word speaks to us, a very different word to what we uh, hear when we're listening to the world. And we thank you, Father, for the attractiveness of your word as it speaks of love, being single-minded, 
and as it exposes the brokenness of life that uh, is lived uh, in disobedience to you. Uh, please, Father, would you give us grace to love our Father who is faithful so much that we want to be like him in our faithfulness. Please would you help us to love the Son who is so forgiving that we might uh, experience new life from him. And please would you help us, Father, be grateful for the Holy Spirit. And this week, help us even in the areas of our thinking and our hearts to be those who want to put Jesus in front of the temptation and to see that it is better to be him than to follow through the daydream. And please would you help us who are married to put our wives in front of temptation that we may see that these are the gifts that will give us greater love than anywhere else. And we pray hold, up, hold on to us as we hold on to your word in these matters. And we pray that for the glory of your name. Amen. Amen.